Hello, everyone. My name is Curtis Johnson, Vice President of Housing Strategy for Catholic Charities USA, also known as CCUSA. Welcome to another CCUSA Healthy Housing Initiative newsletter podcast. CCUSA's Healthy Housing Initiative is a five-year pilot in five cities, Detroit, Las Vegas, Portland, Oregon, St. Louis, and Spokane. It coordinates permanent housing placement, case management, social services, and Catholic charities with primary care and behavioral health, Catholic health, to reduce chronic homelessness. Healthy housing has three goals. One, reduce chronic homelessness by 20%. Two, decrease emergency room utilization of those housed by 25%. And three, connecting 35% of the newly housed to primary health care and behavioral health services. Now, how do we do this, you might ask? Well, the Healthy Housing Initiative addresses chronic homelessness from a holistic perspective. We use housing and housing, we develop permanent supportive housing and or connect clients to other housing providers. Regarding services, we connect clients who are housed to, to accessible case management, health and behavioral health services. And finally, we use advocacy to pursue policies, resources and solutions to chronic homelessness, which brings us to our guest today. We'll learn how the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness collaborates with the work of CCUSA's Healthy Housing Initiative. Our guest today is Mr. Anthony Love of the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness or USICH. Welcome, Mr. Love. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Curtis. Uh, it's uh, nice to be here. Great. And just a little background on Mr. Love. He's currently serving as the USICH Interim Executive Director via detailed assignment from the Department of Veterans Affairs. And in his role at Veterans Affairs, Mr. Love serves as the Senior Advisor and Director of Community Engagement for the Homeless Programs. Prior to his tenure at Veterans Affairs, he served as Deputy Director of USICH, where he was responsible for coordinating the state and local work of the council and served as the lead on veterans issues. Mr. Love brings almost 25 years of experience in homelessness, veterans and poverty issues. He holds a BA in broadcast journalism from Texas State University and a master's of public administration from the University of Missouri, Kansas City. So welcome again, Mr. Love. Uh, thank you so much and, and Anthony is just fine. Very good, thank you so much. All right. So, Anthony, please tell us the purpose of, Uni of, of United States Interagency Council on Homelessness, USICH, and how you came to the position. Sure. So, uh, so USICH uh, um, is, um, you know, our, our role and our purpose is to coordinate the federal response to homelessness. And we work across, you know, federal, state, uh, and local governments. Uh, as well as with the private sector to, to ensure or uh, to help those communities create partnerships, uh, as well as to use resources, the most uh, federal resources in the most efficient and effective ways, uh, as well as to employ um, evidence-based practices. 
uh, we are the only federal agency whose mission uh, whose, whose mission is solely focused on preventing and ending homelessness. Uh, and we are a council that consists of 19 federal agencies, uh, ranging from agencies as large as the Department of Defense to as small as the post office. And these, with these 19 federal agencies, we, they help us to create and catalyze the implementation of what will later this year be uh, released, uh, the Federal Strategic Plan to Prevent and End Homelessness. And, and the way that I came to, to this position, uh, as you noted in, my, my, uh, my, in your introduction, is that one, I, this is my second go round at USICH. I was a deputy director from 2010 to 2012 before going over to VA. And when the new administration came in, uh, as they are organizing um, and, and, and putting people in place, they wanted uh, someone to serve in the interim. And so I was selected and, and plucked a, a away from VA um, uh, because of my experience here uh, with the agency and, and, and uh, the work that I've done in the community. And this is why I sit now in that interim role. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Well, following up with that, what are what will be some of the priority efforts of the uh, interagency council in the next, uh, say, one or two years? Sure. So for twenty twenty two going forward over the next one to two years, uh, USICH will focus on. Um, well, well, we'll be working within a lot of things, but there will be four fundamental areas uh, that the agency will focus on. Uh, racial equity, um, housing first, our, our evidence-based practices, uh, decriminalization and inclusion. And so I'll give a real summary of the four. So the work within racial equity it, it, uh, is a focus because uh, we are under the belief and, and have seen that we'll never end homelessness until we begin to address and resolve some of those structural and systemic uh, racism uh, within the various systems that still exist today. Uh, we know that uh, for far too long that black indigenous and people of color have been denied equitable access to housing uh, and the system that helps people stay housed. So, you know, and those systems are like healthcare and education and employment. Uh, and so as a result, uh, what we've seen in the data is that uh, Black Americans in particular are five times more likely to experience homelessness uh, than their white counterparts. Uh, and so the idea is, is that uh, when we roll out the federal strategic plan uh, later this year, uh, the goal would be to give communities kind of a roadmap of how they began to um, uh, deploy racial equity throughout their particular programs. Uh, and, and at a minimum embed racial equity into every policy decision, uh, uh, discussion and decision, which means that they would include uh, black indigenous and people of color, particularly those, uh, those folks who have experienced homelessness at those tables and, and, and they must deeply understand the unique inequities uh, within their own communities. Then, you know, housing first and, and other evidence-based practices, understanding that um, you know, we're not talking housing only, we're talking, you know, housing first uh, to get folks into housing, to eliminate the chaos of, of their homelessness so then that they can begin to focus on those other areas of their lives that will Im improve their quality of life. Uh, you, I think that Catholic Charities and, and others 
uh, understand the the effectiveness of housing first. Uh, it is a proven system. Absolutely, it's a proven system, and it is uh, a one it is the most effective system uh, that that we've seen in terms of getting people uh, rehoused and keeping them housed. When we talk about decriminalization, we're talking about uh, addressing and working with those communities that have passed some kind of law um, that that to some degree intentionally or unintentionally criminalizes homelessness. And so we believe that um, to, to, to decriminalize uh, those, those, those issues, it's essential uh, that, that folks look at methods that are an alternative to criminalization. So instead of implementing you know, things like camping bans uh, and other ineffective measures, uh, against people without a home, they could invest more in programs and services uh, that are proven uh, to rehouse people, uh, to work with providers, you know, to 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 ensure that there's a more humane way of moving people, you know, off of those properties into something more sustainable and more substantive that will end their homelessness. And so we do know that 48, you know, within almost every state in the union, at least 48 of them has some kind of law uh, that, that, that has this criminalization. And so we'll be working with those states to say, how can we find some more creative ways to, to address those issues? Because we can appreciate that they are dealing with constituents and so forth and so on, and they have to do something, but you know, criminalization is not the issue. And then finally, inclusion, because we believe that people who have experienced homelessness play a critical role in ending homelessness. I mean, who better to know what, they, what you need, what they need is to ask the person themselves and then include them into the decision-making. So we know that they bring meaningful um, input into any kind of planning situation. And so we need to ensure that, that they are there to just give a, a brief example as we have wrapped up our listening sessions around developing the federal strategic plan, uh, we received more than 1,500 comments online and conducted uh, roughly 100 listening sessions and engaged with more than 500 people um, who uh, were currently experiencing or who have experienced um, homelessness. Yeah, those, those priority efforts uh, really aligned with the, the work of Catholic Charities and many of our agencies are involved in, if not all four, three or four, but, but that's encouraging to hear. Uh, just a follow-up to that, um, you, you know, you gave the priority efforts of the Interagency Council. What policies and resources does this administration target to address homelessness? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. You know, other than what 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 is already you know is in existence prior sure. to the pandemic, um, you know, the resources from HUD, VA, labor, and, and others. Um, one of the things, uh, some of the resources that have uh, been used to target or address homelessness, um, particularly are those resources that uh, were put forth uh, to respond to the pandemic. So the American Rescue Plan, for example, um, has a dedicated and unprecedented billions of dollars for homeless services. Uh, it is what we call a once in a generation opportunity uh, to use these resources to significantly reduce homelessness in some communities and actually end it in others uh, if they're used effectively. And so, you know, not only do you have the American Rescue Plan, but you have other 
uh, responses like the CARES Act uh, and the um, um, uh, rental, uh, rental assist, emergency rental assistance programs, sure. uh, as well as state and local rescue packages. I mean, with all of those dollars uh, there, you know, if used effectively, combining them in an effective way as the administration uh, is encouraging communities to do and providing assistance with them in doing that, uh, we figured that you could effectively rehouse more than 200,000 households in just a few years. Uh, if, if those resources are used effectively. Wow. And, and, and no, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm saying that's encouraging, yes. You know, no, absolutely. And so, so the idea would be to, to you know, take advantage of these resources um, uh, so people can begin to, to, to move forward. I mean, not only is it a response to the pandemic, but what, what a way to respond to the pandemic is to ensure that people who are living on the streets are living uh, you know, in unstable housing to be housed in a permanent safe setting. Correct, and that, that aligns so uh, uh, clearly and crisply with the Healthy Housing Initiative. You, you know, CCUSA launched the Healthy Housing Initiative. Um, it's a, as we said, it's a five-year pilot in five cities, uh, Detroit, Las Vegas, St. Louis, Portland, Oregon, and Spokane. Um, and, and it's a collaboration with Catholic Charities and Catholic Health, um, uh, trying to coordinate the, the social services and housing expertise of Catholic Charities with uh, the, that certainly the healthcare, primary care and uh, uh, behavioral health uh, exper uh, expertise of Catholic Health to reduce chronic homelessness. So I just wanted to get your, 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 your take or feeling on how, how, how can hospitals or, or hospital systems become more engaged in addressing homelessness? Well, that, that's a good question. Well, for one, you know, they can, uh, one thing that they can do is, is, is to pay attention to um, the work that's happening with the Healthy Housing Initiative uh, that you launched. Uh, you know, I think this is your third year uh, of the pilot. Uh, right. and, and doing some, and you're doing some great work. So that one thing I can kind of pay attention to that and, and work with with you uh, in this this healthy housing initiative. But also, um, uh, look, I, I believe that you know uh, we all know hospitals included uh, that there's a very tangible connection between um, health and homelessness. Yes. Uh, for one, yeah. So for one, the health and well-being um, of people who are who are unhoused is it, you know, we know that it's, it's, it's greatly compromised as a result of the environmental conditions which they are residing, you know, living on the street, living in, you know, tenuous situations and so forth. So, and, and, and there are also these stories of, of homelessness that start uh, with an eviction after an illness or an injury caused someone to, to lose work. But nevertheless, you know, it, it's well known uh, and witnessed that physical and mental health is further compromised because of the stress and trauma and the conditions of having, you know, to live without a permanent place to call home. So, you know, and, and, and before we get into what hospitals can do, just one thing is, you know, and so these folks, these individuals will eventually access hospital services, but in a way that's very costly. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and also avoidable if, if hospitals, you know, uh, 
partner, you know, you know with providers and, and so forth. So, so, so some of the things that hospitals can do is, is one, they can expand uh, their engagement um, in the movement to end uh, and prevent homelessness by, you know, connecting patients uh, and not just connecting patients uh, without a home to Medicaid and medical respite, but doing it systematically, you know, making sure that these patients are, you know, are assessed and, and connected to those resources to Medicaid and medical respite and, you know, recuperative care programs and other homeless crisis services, as opposed to just, you know, doing whatever and, and, and releasing them. Sure. Um, and, and I think they can also create, you know, new best practice partnerships where, where health systems actually pay for housing and respite beds and, 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 and to any extent, you know, co, you know, co-locate staff um, in support of housing buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and one model that I like um, you know, coming from Houston, Texas, Houston, Harris County, um, you know, is creating these mobile medical units that, that go out and, and serve folks where they are and, 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 and to address their healthcare needs and so forth. Um, those, things, those are some of the things that they can do uh, to really, absolutely, absolutely, uh, to, to kind of help us uh, reduce and, and eventually end homelessness. Um, so the CCUSA's Healthy Housing Initiative, as well as uh, many other housing developments supported by uh, our network attempts to address the lack of affordable housing supply. So how does USICH support supply side efforts to address homelessness? No, sure. So um, I think that, you know, one of the things, you know, with everything else, um, you know, it's not enough to just rehouse folks because I mean, we believe that if every single person stood up today and just said, look, we need to be moved into housing, do we have enough supply um, to accommodate, you know, that move. And, and so if, one of the things that we do know is that, you know, affordable housing is an issue um, in terms of ending homelessness. Yes. And, and, and that's something that we definitely have to address, um, you know. So one of the things uh, that we're doing to, to address that supply side um, effort is we've um, engaged in this initiative um, with the Department of Housing and Urban Development called uh, House America. And this is an, yeah, this is an initiative and all hands on deck uh, uh, effort uh, to get mayors and county officials and governors um, to, 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 to set goals in terms of not only rehousing folks, but to also build uh, some affordable housing. And when we talk about affordable, we're talking deeply affordable uh, for people who are even in the 30 to 15% uh, average median income. Uh, but the overall goal of House America uh, is to build at least by the end of this year uh, is to build 20,000 affordable housing units uh, into the pipeline uh, before the end of the year. And, and another and, and other resources that are being used uh, to do this uh, this work in terms of creating uh, the addressing the supply side issue of, of, of homelessness is the the home investment partnership resources 
Uh, I talked before about the American Rescue Plan uh, and, and, and what it can do. Yes. Within that American Rescue Plan is the, the Home Investment Partnership uh, program and, and as well as uh, state and local fiscal recovery funds. And both of these, um, these, these resources can significantly increase uh, within uh, uh, the supply of affordable housing and help communities build into their pipeline, you know, exhausting all of the existing resources, but at the same time, um, having in a pipeline affordable units uh, for those folks uh, who, who desperately need it. So one of the things um, I'm really impressed with your website, um, and, and I, I took a look at it and saw that four communities were noted as having ended chronic homelessness using USICH's criteria and benchmarks. Um, and as we, like, as you said, we dive into the third year of our healthy housing initiative. This is impressive and exciting. So I'm wondering, would you provide an overview of this criteria and its application uh, so we can understand it a bit more? Sure. So uh, the criteria and benchmarks, um, uh, you know, they, they, they work together uh, to, to provide this ongoing assessment of a community's response to homelessness. And so while the criteria um, focuses on describing kind of the essential elements and accomplishments of a community's response, the benchmarks serve as those important indicators of whether and how effectively uh, that system is working on an ongoing basis. So together, you know, these criteria benchmarks, it, it, they're intended to help communities, uh, you know, look at those essential elements, uh, um, you know, in terms of their response, as well as those indicators uh, to, to help drive down the number of people who are chronically homeless as um, to as close to zero as possible, while at the same time building systems um, that support long-term uh, and lasting solutions that, that, that can effectively and efficiently respond to future needs. Because you know, it, it's not necessarily going to get to zero, but you can get to a place where you, know, you get people down, at, you, know, you get down people and as you've gotten all those folks out there um, uh, off the street uh, and, and into housing, you still have a system that if there's another incident or if a person has another housing crisis that you have the system in place to rapidly rehouse them um, again. And so, you know, as we work with these communities to apply, you know, the criteria and benchmarks, um, one of the things that we do in determining if, if, if these communities have met the, the, the criteria and benchmarks is that we look at the data and the information holistically. So for example, it may be possible for a community's data to indicate that they've achieved all the benchmarks, all the indicators and so forth. And while the other information indicates that the expectations of the criteria haven't been met, you know, so, you know, they, they may have the, 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 the things in place, but there are some things in the criteria that hadn't been met or uh, the benchmarks could may indicate that the, the system is working efficiently, but the system hadn't been working long enough to have fully achieved the goal. So, you know, it's not only just having, you know, like these things in place, trying to plug it in, but you have to show some 
you know, does this over a 90 day, 180 day, you know, period that this system is really working. It is not a point in time, but it is a consistent, you know, effort, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like a both end is what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Very good. So the Healthy Housing Initiative also works with other affordable housing providers and owners and in the community and, and coordinates case management and healthcare to, to residents. Uh, I, I guess I'd call it a scattered site approach. I mean, you know, we're we're looking to develop and 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 and, and build up or or repurpose uh, uh, you know surplus property or any of that, but also work with others in the community because the, the goal is, is housing. How does USICH supports such collaborations and more importantly, what suggestions might USICH have to educate and encourage other housing providers to make uh, the affordable housing or the naturally occurring affordable housing they have accessible to chronically homeless persons? No, that's a good question. I, I think the way that USICH, um, you know, the way that we've, we support and have educated is that on our website, we, we have publications um, and research um, and, and we amplify, you know, communities who are doing the very thing that you're asking about in terms of, um, you know, examples of these partnerships, um, examples of where, this, where things are working um, in those communities for uh, chronically, uh, for individuals who uh, are chronically homeless. And so that's one way that USICH supports is to let communities know that there are other places that are doing this and doing it well. But the one thing that we would suggest, you know, too, you know, what we've learned from our own, um, you know, work with these communities is that, um, that that is critical uh, if 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 really if you're going to encourage housing providers to make units accessible uh, for for folks who are chronically without a home, is that you know to develop like a robust list of housing providers and landlords who are willing to house uh, these men and women uh, who have been chronically uh, without a home. You know, one of the core components of a you know a successful housing system is to 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 have this centralized housing provider landlord engagement effort that where you know and, and what that would be is that if there's this single point of access for property owners or agencies who who have vacancies um, uh, units that they can they can call or contact. Um, you know, folks to to say, look, I have these available. Are there any individuals or families who have vouchers or are in search of housing? And so being able to make those connections. Uh, another way for that to, to happen is what we've seen is that some landlords are a little risk averse and, and so a little skittish. So if there's funding available, there are localities that could provide incentives like a mitigation fund and say, look, you know, on top of the deposit, you know, we have this mitigation fund that if there is any damage or whatnot that is caused that we would be able to pay for it. Uh, and then finally, letting those landlords or those, pro those providers know that there's effective case management available. 
Um, if you're going to move someone who's chronic, who you know is chronically without a home into in these units to let them know that there's effective case management that's gonna be checking in on him or her. And if there's a problem that it can be resolved uh, quickly and without incident or eviction. And so those are just a kind of a couple of things that people can keep in mind as you are building up this system and you're working with people who are chronically without a home um, in terms of how to engage landlords and get them housed as quickly as possible. Those are great suggestions because uh, many, it's amazing how many providers are out there but have never experienced or, or don't understand how to work with you know, subsidies or, or, or Special populations. So those are thank you for those suggestions. Um, I, I want to take you back to um, maybe in the earlier questions, just kind of maybe should follow up sooner. But um, you you talked about um, equity, and 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 I noticed that the USICH website discusses the importance of equity in addressing disparities, and, and especially in homeless populations. But period and. I just wonder if you could expound upon, upon you know, the importance of equity and addressing those disparities, as well as um, you know, just give us a little bit more about the, I think you gave us some input of those. I, I think the, the term is the lived experience. So you share some. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I think that really to expound upon that, is that, you know, like I said before, it, you know, if, if, if we're really serious about ending homelessness uh, within any given community, and, it, and it's pretty clear across, across the country that, that, that Black, Indigenous, and people of color are grossly overrepresented within those homeless populations. So until you begin to really address that particular issue, you're gonna continue to be, you know, grappling with the issues of homelessness. And so the idea would be to, to really begin to make an assessment of, you know, what, what, what is the racial composition of the homeless population that, that you're serving? You know, who, who are the folks that, that, you, that you're serving? I mean, so having good data and not only just collecting just demographic data, but, but, but collecting that data and understanding where and why these racial inequalities exist in their community. And then understanding when you understand the, 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 the where and the why began to begin to be intentional in your response to, to, those, uh, to those issues, to address those inequalities, making those changes, you know, becoming conscious of, of the implicit biases that sometimes happen within programs, uh, because I don't, I don't think that for the most part, people are intentional about it, but I mean, when things are baked in uh, that have happened for so long, then you know people just kind of go with it without being intentional, without being mindful of, of what's happening. And so really, if, if you're bringing attention to it, if you've done the assessment and, and, and so forth, you become aware of where these biases exist and begin to really begin to engage and address them uh, specifically. And this is where it, 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 it is important to, to get the input from people with lived uh, experience. 
is to talk to them about what has been their experience with the system and, 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 and what can the system do better to, to, to help move uh, that their experience with the system is better and, their, uh, and the results uh, with the system are better, are they equitable. And so that's the difference between, because right now we have a system that's quote unquote based on equality, treating everybody as if they are the same. An equitable system focuses on what is it that you need? How will you be successful? You may not need as much or as little as the next person and ensuring that we are addressing their needs specifically. So, so again, that's where we, we would have to embed that. And, and when we talk about embed, we're saying every single policy, every single action should embed this, 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 this racial equity lens to ensure that they're meeting the needs of all of those folks. And, and, and one of the ways, the most important way of ensuring that again is is getting that input and, and getting that um, feedback from, from those uh, men and women uh, and, and young people who have lived experience. Thank you for that clarity. That was, that was helpful. Uh, and Anthony, would you provide a few insights on USICH's almost prevention strategies? Yeah, this is this is new. Um, you know, I know people have always known that we have to have some way of of preventing homelessness from happening. I think everybody can say with clarity that the best way to end homelessness is to prevent it from happening in the first place. But one of the things that we we've, we've struggled with is being able to um, to really measure the effectiveness of prevention strategies. And so one of the things that USICH uh, have recently, we've recently done is to establish an interagency homelessness prevention working group uh, with the purpose of developing a joint strategy on this issue. And, you know, we've also talked to those folks who are, who have, you know, dedicated their lives to researching and trying to understand what, what prevention, um, um, interventions work um, for folks. So, so this, this group um, um, you know, that we've worked with, we're exploring these strategies um, you know, with a wide range of efforts um, from housing to healthcare, to education, to employment, to child care and legal assistance, you know, looking at those, those, those uh, trigger points that may cause a person to become homeless. How do we collect better data and be able to respond when that person has one of those triggering moments that could cause them to lose their housing. Um, and so the idea is, you know, you know, one of the things that we've seen as well is during this pandemic, uh, there is some indication that the emergency rental assistance program has been effective at keeping people from falling into homelessness. The eviction moratorium has had some impact, uh, you know, that's still to be fleshed out, but we believe that those types of strategies, you know, uh, have really began to kind of help keep people from falling into homelessness. And so uh, with this prevention strategies that, that we bring forth, it also began to engage agencies who have not traditionally worked in the homeless space and bringing their resources to the table as well. So, um... I'm, I'm gonna thank you once more, 
today for your time today and just uh, ask you, Anthony, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I, I want to just say thank you so much, uh, Curtis, for having uh, for having me on 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 the podcast. Uh, I definitely am a fan and appreciate the work that Catholic Charities uh, does and is doing. Uh, I look forward to the, the completion of the pilot of the the um, the, the current uh, initiative that you're undertaking, the healthy. Um, uh, housing initiative and, and to see the results of that and, and how uh, you'll be able to expand upon that and, and, and continue to look just look forward to, to working in partnership with Catholic Charities uh, as, as we all uh, look for that day where we would, uh, there's no person that's homeless. Again, uh, Mr. Anthony Love, CCUSA looks forward to, to more collaborations with you and the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness. So with that, I'll say goodbye, everybody. Thanks again. <laughs>